This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 6, Episode 10 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today is Part 2 in our series on Maurice Hurley, looking at his work as a movie writer. And we're going to be looking at his first movie today, which is The Proposal. But before we do that... We figured we should follow up on some of the stuff that we were talking about last week. Because as these things happen, you know, we, we, yeah. we record our show with Larry. And on it, Larry tells us all this information. But at the same time, as as he was quick to point out himself, like, no one knows anything about this dude. Because no one has had a chance to talk to him, like, aside yeah. from William Shatner. With his documentary. Yep. Chaos on the Bridge. And he's like, I can't wait to see that. I hope it gets released someday. And then, like, we wake up the next morning and they say, Chaos on the Bridge is being released online tomorrow. I think it's evidence that William Shatner listens to this show, (laughs) Mike. I'm going to go on the record as saying that, Mr. Shatner, thank you for being an avid listener and uh, making our wishes come true. No, but see, I think it has to go beyond that, because this happened <laughs> after we recorded, but before we released it. You think he's not listening right now? He's uh, William he's, Shatner. Uh, you're right, you're right. He's don't, probably listening. Don't you remember uh, what Fanboys? Yes. He, remember? There's yeah. nothing he can't do. You're right. You're right about that. <laughs> you're right about that. That's one theory. I guess another theory is that Larry willed that movie's release into existence. Which is fine, too. I could, I could see that happening. We did refer to him as the Q of Trek FM. Yes, so that's that, true. That would follow. Yeah. So I, I actually did have a chance to watch it, um, and it's really good. Um, I highly recommend it. it. You can get it online through Vimeo. You can either rent it or you can purchase it. I purchased it because I'm like, chances are, chances are I'm going to end up watching this thing again. I might as well just spend the extra five bucks, you know. Okay, so compare it uh, just to the captains. Is it equal to, better than, like more interesting or like similar but different sort of, you know? It's it's similar to, to that. You know, he's, he's a really good interviewer. Yeah. Like, he's a really good... Did you ever see... Uh, what was the name of his show? Raw Nerve. Raw Fan- Nerve. Yeah. Fantastic show. Absolutely so enthralling. Yeah. I mean, you know, Max and I have talked about this. I think we've probably talked about it on a podcast somewhere where we're like, you know, there's the Tim Allen episode. And we're oh, like, yeah. oh, man, this is going to be so great. They're going to talk about Galaxy Quest and everything. And then they get in there and they're like, so, you know, why are you the way you are? And he's like, oh, well, you know, uh, my dad was an alcoholic and I spent some time in prison or whatever it was. I forget, yeah. you know, and it's like, well, what, what about the galaxy quest <laughs> and the jokes and the, you know, R, 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 whatever that guy did. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, Shatner, he's just going to jump right into it. And, you know, with the captains, I think, cause I think with all this stuff and it's really interesting with him when he's interviewing Star Trek people, uh, especially not original series people. Like, I 
really get the impression that he hasn't seen any of this stuff. You know? Uh, yeah, I'd say that's a fair read on things. So, I, like, with, I'd say that's true. With the captains, there's this thing of sort of like, you know, what's it like to be a captain? You know, philosophically, where are you at in your life? Blah, blah, blah. And he's more interested in them as people. And he yeah. doesn't really care about their work necessarily, aside from the fact that it's a reflection of them as people. Yeah. But with this, he's actually telling like a narrative, um, which is kind of cool. You know, he's telling the story of the writer's room for season one of Next Gen. And that's pretty awesome, you know? And because yeah. it's a story which, you know, like like we discovered last week, it, it's, it really hasn't been told. And he does get all of the key players. He's got David Gerald, he's got Susan huh. Sackett, DC Fontana, Rick Berman, you know, everyone. Iris Stephen Bear shows up for a little while, and he's really? awesome, as usual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. he's got everyone on there, and he's got Maurice Hurley. And Maurice Hurley, like, even though the, the documentary is very much uh, a, a broad analysis of things that happened, and it gets every side of the story, it doesn't, mm. it doesn't just settle on, on one point of view. It doesn't go into it. I think part of it, you know, which is probably good, is that he's probably not familiar with what happened, you know, in, in season one of Next Gen, aside from hearing stories here and there from sure. his friends. And he doesn't have any, you know, he doesn't have any dog in the fight or whatever, you know? Right. So so he's just like, whatever, I'm just going to get the story, you know? And there's some, like, really, like, even to the point of them contradicting, like, there's this whole thing where, like, the guy who was, like, the president of the studio, I, I forget what he was, but he was, like, the, the head executive. He talks yeah. about, like, this this big blow-up that he had with, with Patrick Stewart. And he tells really? the story, and he makes Patrick Stewart basically, you know, sound like like a jerk kind of thing. And he's like, and that's the last time I ever spoke to Patrick Stewart. And then wow. they go to Patrick Stewart, and he's like, oh, really? Because I remember that completely differently. <laughs> and he tells a completely different story that has nothing to do with the one that this other guy told. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, wow, that's, you know, that's interesting. But despite that, despite the fact that this has, you know, many viewpoints, and it, it definitely gives a thorough uh, portrait from all perspectives— it really does seem like Maurice Hurley is the central figure here, you know. Mm -hmm. He's the one who is in it more than anyone else, and he doesn't pull any punches, and it's really interesting. And I think one of the most interesting things about it is his philosophy in terms of making the show and uh, how that connects to Roddenberry's philosophy, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I can see, I can totally see why he'd be frustrated because for whatever reason, he was thrust to the top of this, of this show and mm -hmm. over David Gerald and DC Fontana, which, you know, I think is probably why they left because they were like, what the hell? We've been here since the beginning. We did the original right. series stuff. This guy has never done any sci-fi. And now all of a sudden he's our boss. Like, what is this? I don't understand, you know? Yeah. But the interesting thing about it is, like, Maurice Hurley knew what Roddenberry's vision was. And very similar to, say, Rick Berman, he took it upon himself to accurately portray Roddenberry's vision. 
he was trying to fit inside the Roddenberry box that we we talk about again and yeah. again and again. And, you know, even though he didn't agree that that was necessarily the best thing to do. And what became really frustrating was when Roddenberry himself started operating outside of the box. And Hurley, who had been essentially fighting off all these people who were saying, yeah. like, we need to tell different stories, you know? And he's like, no, we got to do it the way that Roddenberry wants it to be done. Now Roddenberry's saying, like, we should do this. And Hurley was kind of like, I, I give up, you know? I can't fight you on right. doing what you're telling me to do. I set up a whole thing based on your thing, and now you're saying that that's gone? No. And, you know, I think that's a big reason as to why he left. So, sure. So, okay, so basically, basically, he he's sort of uh, he viewed his role simply as being a conduit for Roddenberry, and then what Roddenberry was saying one day was suddenly changed, and it just sort of blew it out for him because he was like, "Oh, wait, I've been doing what you told me to do, and now you want something else." Yeah, it sounds like season two is really rough because Roddenberry started. You know, I mean, everyone talked about how Roddenberry was becoming more and more erratic in terms of you know what he was looking for and all this stuff and it sounds like a lot of that had to do with his his health problems at the yeah. time but you know um whatever the reason you know it's it it became like sort of an impossible thing to work with i mean they talked about how <laughs> i think they said it was in like like i Stephen bear was telling this like in ron moore's bathroom or something like that which ron moore is in it too and Brandon yeah. braga everyone like in ron moore's bathroom or something they had a uh a board hanging up on the wall with a list of all of the writers that had been fired during Ugh. season one and two. And <laughs> Shatner's wow. like, was it a long list? And Bear's like, it was a really long list for a show that had only been on for two years, you know? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, it was, it was a very, you know, crazy environment. And, you know, Shatner, he's a great interviewer, and he's also crazy like in the best possible way and that makes yeah. for like a great you know they they have like this cool like sort of like um uh animated sort of like in one of those like animated comic type styles yeah going for it in order to sort of depict like events that that, that people are, are describing oh, that's awesome in sort that of like fan- stylistic ways though yeah you know it's really cool. And and then, like, the whole thing... And I remember, like, at one point, Shatner was talking about how he wanted to call it, like, Wacky Doodle or something. And everyone's like, why would you call a documentary about Next Generation Wacky Doodle? And it's because uh, Maurice Hurley said that, you know, the whole situation or something like that was Wacky Doodle or Roddenberry's ideas were Wacky Doodle. And apparently Shatner just loved that term because he took it and ran with it. There's a song written for the for the for the show, (laughs) you know, where which uses it, you know, again and again. It's like, okay, all right, whatever. That's awesome. That's great. I, you know, I, you're right. Shatner is crazy, but I think I think that craziness, like I really want to see this now, and I'm I'm going to make a point to see it, and it's it's specifically because as you're talking about it. Your Shatner is nuts, but it, he has that craziness that has that charisma that makes people want to talk to him. Definitely, yeah. I think that's why he's such a good interviewer. Is he he triggers something in a person where it's almost like this gamesmanship where they want to match him and they yeah. want to get into his energy. Yeah, cool. 
I can see that. Yeah, and 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 unlike his other you know documentaries, which I do think are are very good, like this one does have more of an energy to it than most, and and it has you know more of a, a cohesive like story and everything, and and it's. It's definitely, I think, the best out of the do- I, all the documentaries that I've seen. I haven't seen the convention one yet, but, you know. Okay. So, yeah. So, that's Chaos on the Bridge. Definitely check it out. Highly recommended. And it, it, it really is kind of like a expanded version of what we were talking about last week. Like, you know, they talk about, they get into great detail about Gene's lawyer, who we, we touched oh, on yeah, last yeah. week and everything. I kept on thinking, like... This is what I I just we just had the conversation and the and now we're seeing and okay okay cool all right great great so so yeah check that out for sure the the only thing that that one other point which is relevant to Hurley which I thought was really interesting was he talked about how um, neutral zone was set up as um, you know the introduction to the Borg like we talked about last yeah. week and how. That was going to be the arc of season two. So it sounds really? like the original plan for season two was basically like the Borg are coming and then essentially have it end with something like the best of both worlds. Wow. And can you imagine? I mean, that could have been the best season of Star Trek if, well, if it was. Well, it, that would have been that's that's uh, that's like mythology television ahead of the curve. Yeah. You know, like the, the whole the single season narrative is. You know, it, it was an idea just being explored at that time. So that would have been, wow, for them to be in front of that yeah. ball would have been really cool. And, and, I'm sure, and I can, yeah, I can imagine that 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 would have definitely contributed to his frustration too. Oh yeah, because if that was the plan, and then all of a sudden, and it's, you know, yeah. a, a lot a lot of it had to do with the strike. You know, they were talking about how like in between the seasons, you know, like I think it was Patrick Stewart who was like, you know told by someone at, at the at the network like or the studio whatever you know it's not looking good like you guys are gone this is there there is not going to be a season two like everyone thought it was and then wow and then the writing strike ended and then they had to scramble you know at least that's the the impression that that i got okay. from the documentary so yeah, so I yeah look forward to running that yeah for sure for sure check it out it's well well worth it all right so also in in response to our uh, discussion last week, we received a voicemail from oh. Ben. So we're going to play that for you now because I think it is rather interesting. I was just listening to your uh, episode about Maury Hurley, uh, and I was one of the few people who managed to interview him. I've actually got some very interesting stuff from him about the Borg. Um, he talks about the Borg being the devil, uh, Q being God, and Picard being stuck in the middle which I think is something that got completely forgotten. I don't think Michael Peller ever knew about it. Um, he also talks about the fact that the Borg were America, that they were trying to assimilate everything and that you couldn't argue or reason with them. Um, Maury was a interesting guy, very awkward about what happened on Next Gen, particularly in the second season. I tried to interview him about that and he said, no. Uh, there really is nothing I have to say about it. I managed to get him to talk about the Borg. I managed to get him to talk about the first season, but not the second season. Anyway, uh, I hope that adds a little interesting stuff. It does. Absolutely. <laughs> that's uh, Thank you for the message. That's that's wonderful information to have. 
that that's great for sure yeah it's 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 really interesting you know I, I had never really thought about that i mean i can totally see what he's saying about the borg being america you know and yeah. the sort of like you know imperialistic nature and and you know assimilating other colonies but but basically make turning them all into america you know yeah the sort of the homogeneous view of the world of yeah. we we bring great technology and uh, power, but you will sacrifice your identity to be one of us. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I can definitely see that. You know, it, it is, it's kind of similar to, I mean, that, that type of thing, you know, you see that all the time, you know, even, you know, just in relation to like inside America in terms of like consumerism and stuff like that, you know? Sure. So they live, right? Sure. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yes, you're right. So, yeah. so that's kind of cool. I mean, the idea of, um, Q as God and the Borg as the devil and, and Picard caught in between. That's an interesting concept. I, I, I don't I don't know how, how well it, it tracks for me, but then again that might have been something that they were planning on, you know, expanding on in the future. Yeah, t- I mean you could easily say like maybe Q was a uh, a mischievous I mean, in a sense well, you know, you, you could go nuts. I mean, that they said, you know, God and the devil and Picard caught in between. But, I mean, I think you could almost make an argument that um, uh, Q would have been even, maybe even better stated in that sort of analogy as a, uh, like a mischievous angel or an imp. Or, you know, somebody who's not, he's not evil, but he's not necessarily good. Like, he's doing that, he's... He's a. Te- I mean, in a sense, Q almost becomes the the devil. Yeah. Uh, in, in that, because he's the tester. He's not. He's not trying to take you out. He, but he's doing all of this to test you, to see if you're worthwhile. And then he has his demons come and attack you or whatever. But yeah, which it, which maybe kind of. I mean, because that's another thing that they talk about in the documentary. They talk to Brandon Braga, and you know, like Shatner brings this up. He's like, okay, Q is basically God. Right. And and they talk about how Q was added to Encounter at Farpoint by Roddenberry, right, in an effort to expand mm. it into two hours. Uh, basically, the original, you know, script for Encounter at Farpoint was what's on screen, but without any Q, you know. Wow. So so um, that that thing was kind of grafted on there. And Shatner's like, OK, that's really weird because, you know. Gene Roddenberry is known for being a hardcore atheist. You know, many people, I mean, Brandon Braga gave like a speech on this where, you know, that he talked about how, you know, Star Trek is really, is really the, uh, the great atheist mythology of our time and everything like that. And here he is in the very first episode of his new Star Trek show. He sticks God into it. And he's like, what's up with that? And Braga's like, yeah, that's weird. I never thought about that. You know, but, yeah. you know, I, I, I guess I never really saw him as God. While he does have godlike powers, like you're saying, he is sort of more of a, a trickster God, you know? Right. So perhaps perhaps that's what Roddenberry was doing. Maybe he was commenting on that. I don't know. It's It's interesting. It's interesting, but... Adding this thing, yeah. what Hurley is saying about, about the God, about Q being God and the Borg being the devil, that's that's strange. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I'd like to find out. I'd actually really like to find out more about that. Yeah, me I, too. I really would. Me too. 
So thank you, Ben. Thank you very much. You know, we really do appreciate it. That was yeah. that was definitely very insightful. So it's like, man, if we would have just waited one week to record this thing, <laughs> we, <laughs> well, all of our questions would have been answered. But no, that's the way it works. So let's move on to the proposal, which we also know nothing about. And maybe next week we'll get all the information we ever wanted on the proposal. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I want as much information on the proposal, Mike. <laughs> I'm really not sure about that. Perhaps not. We shall see. I don't know. So this was the first movie that Hurley wrote. Now, you know, Hurley was uh, primarily a television writer. You know, he had written for Miami Vice. He had written for The Equalizer, all that stuff. And in 2001, this was released, which was a movie which went straight to video. Um, It was directed by Richard Gale, who... Um, hasn't directed much in terms of movies, but I guess he's pretty big right now in terms of like uh, sort of independent short films. It looks like they're kind of like comedy horror type of shorts. And uh, he, prior to, to that, he was a, a multi-Emmy winner for, um, I think, like uh, local news uh, videography, that, that sort of stuff. So this was a movie that he directed written by Maurice Hurley, and it stars uh, Nick Moran, Jennifer Esposito, Stephen Lang of Avatar yeah. fame, William yep. B. And, Davis. And also Tombstone. Don't okay, he was in Tombstone. All right. Haven't seen Tombstone. Sorry. Oh, oh man. Once a week. Once a week we got to go through this. All right, go I on. I keep on go telling, on. every time people are shocked by movies that I haven't seen, I'm like, there's a lot of movies that I haven't seen. I didn't start watching movies until I was like, 15 years old you know yeah you You got a lot of catching up to do you got to see like you've got at this point you've got to see tombstone just because uh steven lang is so good an actor that when you see him in like i was about three quarters of the way through avatar before i realized oh my gosh he was in tombstone (laughs) like it was it it took that long but i i i made us digress my apologies that's okay. That's okay. I mean, this this digression actually spawned an idea for for me for my other show off topic where I'm going to do an episode where we pick our our top 10 movies that we haven't seen that we need to see. Oh, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. That is a fantastic idea. So that could be interesting. Okay. But yeah. spoilers, neither Tombstone nor Braveheart are on my list. Sorry. It, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> Mm. Mm. It is what it is. It's my list. What can I say? We're different people, Mike. That's all I can say. Um, Okay, so he's in it. Also, William B. Davis, Cancer Man from the X-Files is in it. Yeah. And so That was was weird seeing him. Yeah, and it was great. I like every time I see him, I'm like, hey, I love that guy. He reminds me a lot of my dad. Like, my dad does not smoke. He does work for the government, but... As far as I know, he's not like an, a secret agent or anything like that. There but, was that time that the neighbor down the street disappeared after <laughs> saying something nasty about the lawn, but you're pretty sure that's not related. I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> um, but he he has like, the same mannerisms and everything. He looks very similar. Uh, it's, it's very strange. So every time I see that guy, I think of my dad. And cool. then it's also got that guy who I don't know his name, but he was in a couple episodes of the X-Files as like a hypnotist. Like he's in Jose Chung's From Outer Space. And I think, I forget what the other one, I think it's another one of the, the Darren Morgan episodes. 
See, there, I, I don't know who was, I don't know specifically uh, which actor you're talking about because just about every actor uh, in this movie is somebody you've seen on television at some point. Yeah. I mean, it really is, it's, it looks and sort of feels like it was cast for television. Yeah. I mean, they definitely had a lot of TV people. And, um, well, I mean, well, we can get into the, the look and the feel of, of the movie in, a, in yeah. a minute. But before we do, how about we, we give a, a synopsis of the movie? Do you want to give a synopsis of this thing? Yes. Uh, an undercover cop um, gets assigned a fake wife, quote unquote, uh, to uh, to help bring down this uh, mob boss that he has been undercover for six months, which judging by how stressed this guy is all the time, is a really long time to be undercover. Yeah. And uh, they are supposed to play man and wife and uh, get get into the good graces of this mob boss and get him to either do or say something that's going to cause him to be thrown in jail. Yes. And there are twists and turns along the way, I guess. I'd say there are turns, not many twists. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. So, uh, what are, what are your what are your thoughts on the proposal? Well, I feel like maybe I've given away with my demeanor uh, what I thought of this movie, but I was actually thinking about it while I was watching. That every so often, uh, you know, you'll be up a little later than usual, and you're scanning the channels, and sometimes you get up to uh, the HBO and Cinemax territory. This has all of the visual and scripted charm of one of those movies that you uh, happen across without any of the prurient nature that ensures these things a place on late-night television. Um, so it, I imagine that this movie probably has played on cable and probably those cable channels from time to time and frustrated some young lad that was uh, looking for something else. But uh, it's this is this movie is basically an exercise in frustration, in the sense that the motivations make no sense. The script is it's pretty rough, and um, it wants to be much more than it is. And uh, it would have, I, I just don't see anything in this movie working in any real fashion. I like I. I Every, nobody goes out to make a bad movie. You know, everybody's showing up on set and they're trying to make the best thing that they can, but sometimes it just doesn't work. Now, I will say that Stephen Lang, again, he's great in anything. He's like my personal Gene Hackman. And uh, so he's fun to watch. Like, he, you can tell that he's really into the part. Uh, but the the movie as a whole is really just sort of a train wreck. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here, here's, here's a good test. Uh, sorry, it's kind of a digression, but just a good test to, to see yeah. where you're at on the Stephen Lang scale. Um, apparently, the original plan for Avatar was to have that role, the Stephen Lang role, be played by Michael Bean. Oh, that... See, I think Stephen Lang did a better job with it. Okay. Than he, than he would have. Uh, as my, I have a soft spot for Michael Bean, as anybody who grew up watching Terminator. Yes. You know... Yes. We we all and aliens. We yes. all have a soft spot for him. But I do think that Lang made Stephen Lang was one of the few things of Avatar that I truly enjoyed watching. So Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm definitely in the Michael Bean camp on that one, but 
that's true of pretty much everything. So, yeah. Fair enough. Okay, yeah. I mean, uh, um, for me, this movie, it's like that 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 aesthetic that you're talking about, where it it looks and it feels like a late night cable movie, right? Yeah. I I I really have like a soft spot in my heart for those types of things because it it like when I was watching them, when this movie came out or whatever, it was when I was at film school and that sort of low budget thing was something that I could relate to because that was at about the level of movie making that I was at, you know? Okay. So like, that's how like my movies looked and, and, and that kind of thing. So there's that, but there's also the sort of thing of like, Again, from that time period, like when you're in film school and whatever, and you're watching and you're you're trying out everything and you're you're seeing what you like and what you don't like in terms of movies, and there'd always be those movies, like probably this one sitting on the shelf at Blockbuster, like the new release wall at Blockbuster. I miss it so much because it was always so great because there'd be like a full wall of Avatar, a full wall of like the X-Files movie or whatever. And then there'd be like just one copy of stuff like The Proposal or whatever. Usually they starred Dean Cain. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know why. But Casper Van Dien took his place for a little bit. Yeah, Casper Van Dien yeah. for sure. But you know, I would always look at those. Like those would be the ones because I'm like, if there's a movie which, which I had never heard of, because you know I went to see everything. If there was a movie that I had never heard of, and it had like a star in it that I had heard of, like I would always pick it up. I'd always flip it over and see who like the director was. Because yeah. half the time it would be Russell Mulcahy, and that guy's amazing, <laughs> you know? I've watched so many. So, so there's, there's this thing where it's like I would, I would give those movies a shot because I hadn't seen them, and I'm like, you never know. Like, this movie might be great. And most of the time they weren't, but occasionally you'd find one where it actually was great, and you'd go back and you'd be like, you guys should, you know, take a look at this because... No one's ever heard of it, but it's it's excellent, you know, and 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 it's just sort of yeah. like one of those things that, you know, I mean, like there was like a guy Gregory Dark, I think his name was, who did like a bunch of music videos, and okay. his sort of side gig or whatever was making movies like this, and his oh. whole thing was like, you don't have any money, but nobody cares what you're doing since they're not giving you any money. So really, as long as you check all the boxes, as long as you have X amount of violence and X amount of sex or whatever, you can literally do whatever you want in these movies and no one will tell you no. And he made a a ton of them, you know, and he's like, this is better than making movies for the big screen because then I'd have a studio behind me just telling me what I can and can't do. This is actually my movie, Mm. good or bad. And, you know, there is something about that. So when I saw this, when I saw the picture on, you know, Netflix and I'm like, ooh, ooh, this looks like it might be something cool. <laughs> you know, it, re- it took me back to that time period, especially when I saw like yeah. Cancer Man was in it and stuff. I'm like, yeah. ooh. That being said, uh, yeah, it does not work. This is not one of those hidden gems. This is New. problematic. Um, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, the script is not good. But nope. 
I think the direction is worse, if that makes sense. It's a close call. <laughs> I, think, I think it's a worthwhile discussion, like, uh, which is. Um, I, I would say that this director uh, definitely seems not to have the, the full arsenal of, of experience uh, that you know, a, a seasoned director might have. But I would also say that, boy, the, the script really feels like he was starting from nothing. Well, I mean, that could be in terms of the in terms of the direction first, I guess, you know, I, I, I do feel like it is a guy who's trying to figure out how to make a movie, um, which, you know, I've been there and, uh, yeah. you know, I have made a movie which is half as good as the proposal. So who am I to talk? But <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it I, I think that part of it is a lack of budget you know, maybe some overambition, you know, not not realizing your limits, you know, and and yeah. and trying to extend, you know, a dollar maybe a little bit further than than you can, and the end result is is kind of weak. That being said, I, I also think that maybe his actors were not as solid as they could have been in in most cases. I mean, surely Stephen Lang is great, and you know, uh, William Davis playing, you know, he. He's apparently born to play an FBI agent. Yeah, yeah, you know. and and the guy, the guy who plays the 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 um, hypnotist on the X Files, he's amazing <laughs> too, Ma- yeah. mainly because he has the most amazing look I've ever seen on a person. So, <laughs> so there's that. But you know, I did keep on thinking. Well, I don't think that the script is good. I did keep on thinking like. Like I was almost playing it in my mind as if it were done with a higher budget, as if it were made like a movie like this should be made, you know? And when I look at it that way, when I sort of like read the script that I'm seeing in my head, the movie that plays in my mind is a lot better than the one that we're seeing on screen. You know who else did that? Homer Simpson. Uh, when they showed the brainwashing film uh, for the leader in, in that particular episode. And uh, at the end, he talked about, uh, did they know that the cop was in internal affairs the whole time? And they said, well, that wasn't in the movie. Where'd you get that from? He goes, yeah, but I got really bored. So I made another movie in my head while I was watching it. <laughs> That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. I've never seen that episode. I don't Yeah. Oh, I don't oh watch, it's yeah, the leader episode. with Listonia. It was actually a very uh, surreptitious uh, uh, Scientology uh, jab, which, which is very interesting considering Nancy Cartwright is a Scientologist. Um, so, but she didn't quite catch it. Uh, but uh, anyway, I don't. I I disliked this movie enough that it was more a sense of I was dreading any moment where they were going to try to have uh, some sort of sexual charisma between the two main characters. Yeah, like I was watching it with fear. I was like, "Oh no, don't, don't go down that road. Stop. Just let's just get this over with. We know where we're going. Let's just keep moving." Yeah, it it is kind of interesting, though. I mean, like you know, kind of thinking about it as as a, a script and not necessarily just a movie. Like Hurley has done a lot of cop shows and stuff like that, right? So you yeah. figure like this type of story is his wheelhouse. Um. I don't know. I mean, there are some twists and turns here, but they don't, like you're saying, they don't really twist that much. It's kind of like a... Yeah, there's pretty much a roadmap. 
uh, all the way until uh, an absolutely ludicrous ending that doesn't even give you any sort of dramatic payoff. Yeah. I mean, granted, I'm not expecting any by the time I get to the end. I'm just expecting it to be over. But it suddenly, it, it even then pulls the rug out from under you in the sense that it says, well, you know what? Uh, we could go one of two ways right here. And uh, eh, what the hell? Let's just have a happy ending. Okay. I mean, the big problem with the script, I think, is that the main character is completely unlikable. That would be a problem. Yes. <laughs> Very true. Very true. I don't know. I mean, it, it is kind of interesting to see, like, you know, a cop movie from a guy who's done a bunch of cop shows and stuff like that. But this is not his best work by any stretch of the imagination. Nope. I don't know. And any... And, and uh Anything else you you want to add about this movie or? Uh, in this case, I added my review on Letterboxd. Oh under yeah, the username Kessel Junkie. Uh, <laughs> it's the first review I've entered on Letterboxd. Thank you, Mike, for steering me toward that service. I will have fun with it. Oh. But uh, my inaugural review uh, is trashing this movie, and it appears that I actually gave it fewer stars than you did. Yeah, I believe I gave, I gave it, it half a star. You gave it half a star. Oh, yes, I thought you, you gave it one star. Uh, if I all right, half or one is kind of the same. That's basically a uh, that's like on a pass fail scale. You didn't die actually in the classroom. Okay, so right. there you go. See, I don't I don't give half stars in my ratings. <laughs> I always do okay. full stars. So okay. just because I'm like, how how you know how much do we need to to break this down into little itty bitty bits? You know, I have enough trouble separating. You know, once once it's either good or bad, but. Um, so I, on a five star scale, I gave it two stars, which I almost always like, basically if I don't like a movie, but it has some redeeming quality, right? Like there's something in it, which makes me go, Hey, that's cool. I'll give it two stars. And that was, uh, well, like, like I was saying, I liked the style, you know? Okay. And, um, I liked uh, cancer man and I liked the hypnotist guy. Cancer Man just reminded me how much I wanted to watch X-Files again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Me me too, actually. Um, But, you know, I had to give it that. I had to give it that. So two stars. I think two stars was reasonable. I Um, I think that this is one of those cases where you are the kinder person than I am. Okay, all right. So, Fair enough, fair enough. Um, But yeah, yeah. Uh, At least it got you to letterboxed. So that's how that's that true. matters. You know, it all works out. Great. I mean, yeah. I c- keep track of all the movies that I watch on there. I give little star ratings for each. And then they got the whole list section. Yeah, I'm going to have a lot of fun with the lists. Oh, it's great. That's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. So go join Letterboxd. And I think the thing about Letterboxd is unlike, it's like the anti-proposal in that <laughs> stylistically, it's gorgeous. It has the most beautiful... Um, layout and and, yeah. and everything, it just it's it just pops. It's just like yes, this yeah is, no the, the the interface is great. Yeah, I, yeah. it's so colorful, you know, because it's got the great you know movie posters and everything for each of the movies, and yeah. it's very slick. It's it's nice. Go join Letterboxd. It's great. Um, okay, so so that's that's it for the proposal, I guess. Unless you have any final thoughts. Nope. All right. I don't really have any final thoughts either. I I would just say that um yeah, it's it's interesting in that it is a cop show or cop movie and we haven't, you know, since this guy is, you know, Maurice Hurley, he's not 
known for sci-fi by any stretch of the imagination. This is a little taste of you know what he he did on a regular basis. So that's cool. Yeah. Just don't judge him on this one alone. No, no. no. All right. Well, um, before we go, um, there's a little bit of information about the new Star Trek movie, Star Trek Beyond. Yes. Um, it's finally been confirmed officially, finally, that Idris Elba is actually in this movie. Yeah, and we don't, we still don't know who he's playing, or if it's an alien race. But uh, it's exciting to have him in it because, so far as I'm concerned, Idris Elba is one of the uh, best actors out there working right now, and I look forward to having him join the Star Trek franchise. Yeah, he's really good. He's really good. Did you watch The Wire? Oh yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. The Wire. The Wire is that's. Man, it, it's tough because that, that's one of those ones that is always, for the rest of time, going to drive people who haven't seen it nuts. Because every time somebody says, I haven't seen The Wire, it's going to be like me reacting to you not seeing Tombstone. Where it's like, what? How can you? Do you? Are you, you know, it, it's like uh, Jules in Pulp Fiction. It's like, but you are aware of an invention called television. And on this thing, they show shows, right? Well, The Wire is one of the best ones of those shows. Uh, my my friend Marcelo, who who does uh, the the Talk Film Society, oh yeah yeah, he he had an idea which he threw out there at one point where I was like, you gotta do that. Where he's never seen The Wire and he wanted to do a podcast where he does like reviews. He watches the entire series and does oh. reviews of each episode. Um, I think he was going to do it with someone who had seen the show before, and he was going to call it "Why are you not watching this?" Nice. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> I'm like, you have that. to. I would totally do that with you if I had the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he, he hasn't done it, so maybe one day. <laughs> that's awesome. Anyway, so yeah, well, it's great that, that Idris Elba is, is going to be in this thing. I think it, people have said that he's not playing a pre-existing character. Um, I mean, it really does seem like they're going in another direction with this, whether or not he's an alien, who knows. But, uh, you know, he can play anything he wants. You know, I'll believe it. I, you know, I would honestly, I, I, you know, if I had my druthers, I would prefer the, I prefer him to play a human simply because I don't want prosthetics or any tricks or anything like that. The guy is such a raw acting talent that I just want him. I don't want anything to detract from his performance. And, I, you know, of course, if he winds up being an alien, it's not like I'm going to be like, oh, this is terrible and ruined now. But, you know, just make him, don't make him a Superman and don't make him a Romulan. Just make him awesome. Let him just be awesome. Some Someone said basically that same exact thing on the Babel conference, and my response was like, he's a good enough actor that, you know, he doesn't need the prosthetic. He, you know, yeah. You can just be like, oh yeah, he's he's a Klingon, yeah, he's a Tellarite, yeah. Don't you, yeah. I mean, you, 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 I mean, there, he'll convince <laughs> yeah. you that he's wearing a forehead, you know, even <laughs> yeah. if he's not, you know. But they could yeah. also do. I mean, like the the character when I first heard about it, I'm like, General Chang, come on, you got to do Chang, you know. But they're not doing Chang because Chang's going to be in this Green Lantern comic and everything, and 
But whatever. That seemed to be the logical step for this movie for, for me. But And, you know, I mean, that's a case where Christopher Plummer was like, I don't want the freaking forehead. Just give me a few bumps and let's call it a day, you know? Yeah. They could have done that. But it's not going to be General Chang, so it's a moot point. I'm fine with that. I, I'm look. I'm looking forward to the fact that it's going to be some something and someone new and different, and uh, not not rebooting somebody we've already seen. Fair Give enough. Give me something new. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, also, also, just because uh, Drew uh, from Standard Orbit pointed this out to me, and and I I couldn't I couldn't not jump at the hype. Roddenberry.com is now selling T-shirts. With the logo that's on that patch, which Justin Lin tweeted a week ago. No way. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, you can really tell that they were like, oh, wait, we, you know, Drew's like, do they have the rights to that? I'm like, yeah, they gotta, you know? So they must have been like, we have the rights to this. Let's cash in really quick. You know, kind of like when Miramax, uh, whoever uh, owned, owned the rights to uh, to Miramax movies in, in um, Canada, started releasing like all the Miramax movies on Blu-ray before before uh, Miramax did, themselves did. No, I didn't know that that <laughs> happened. I mean That's it was awesome. great because all of a sudden it's like there's from Dusk Till Dawn. Oh my god. And it actually looks a lot better than what's on the the American Blu-ray, but there were a few like they're like we have 7 and they're like, well, that's not even letterbox that you it cropped. It's not even. And they're like, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? It's seven. Just get it out there. Just get it out there. You know. <laughs> okay. So it was like one of those things. But whatever, didn't stop me from buying the shirt. So you know, check it out if you want. You want the first piece of Star Trek Beyond merchandise? Roddenberry dot com. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> and also, they've said that they're they're going to be shooting this movie in Dubai. Um, and that it might be, which I think we had heard that info before. Yeah. But in addition to that, they've said that it might be a, um, a vertical alien city. Oh, wow. That and, would be, yeah. Well, I mean, okay, they're going to use that uh, hotel that they use in Mission Impossible 4. Yeah. You know, the, the Burj Dubai. Is that how you say it? I think so, yeah. 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 That, well, there you go. There's your vertical city. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> like, excellent. Just, just use a CG and make it bigger or something. <laughs> but it sounds like that's what they're going to do last on this shoot. Like, they're going to do that in, like, August, which makes sense. You know, shoot in Vancouver, get everything done, and then... And then go to the desert the at the hottest part of the year. Yeah. It is smart. You're right. Yeah. Right on the equator, too. <laughs> you don't want to miss out on any of that good sunlight. <laughs> <laughs> at least they won't have to worry about, you know, uh, short... Sh- oh, no, wait. They would have to worry about... Short shooting days, right? <laughs> they're they're going to have to worry <laughs> about their cameras exploding in the heat. So okay. hopefully they they will manage that just fine. <laughs> they're professionals. I'm sure they've got it. All <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it was fun talking about the proposal today, but that's not all we're talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. These look at least like they're pretending that they're sealed. Mm-hmm. Even if they're just like beekeeper. They're still beekeeper helmets, but uh, they really the do. mesh looks more solid. They really do kind of look like electric razors. Earl Grey. 
we divide the ship into one of two ways. Port goes to port. <laughs> I better not see any starboard guys on the starboard phaser target practice. You guys know which side of the ship you're on. The orb. And so they cannot impart to him the knowledge that he needs in order to raise his son. And Worf doesn't want to raise a human son. Like you said earlier, he didn't get the son that he wanted. He wants to raise a Klingon son. The ready room. We knew that Spock was popular, and we knew that Dad had some fans, but we were not prepared for what we saw happening in the social media, in the print media. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the New York Times reported that they got more hits on Dad's obituary than any other person personality in the history of the paper. To the journey! I can just hear the Earl Grey people screaming, Measure of a man! Measure of a man! <laughs> and you know what I would say to that? Death wish! Death wish! Warp 5. I remember watching Broken Bow when Enterprise first debuted when I was in high school. And I remember revisiting it now in full. And I had forgotten the fact that Future Guy had actually played an integral role from the get-go. With Silic and the Sulaban, which we'll talk about later in the show. Commentary, Trek stars. It's all of these top-notch filmmakers, like people like Walter Murch, who literally wrote the book on editing. He, like Those guys all teaming up to make a big action kids movie, I think is really cool. The 602 Club. I think he's very much recreating that THX feel, and you may, di- you may disagree with it. You may not think it's, you know, it's great, but it's on purpose. He wants that world to be that way. Let me just say, conceptually, I agree with that. In terms of execution, that's where I think he failed. Literary treks. It's amazing to me, as I reread these stories, how much of it I just kind of think of as Deep Space Nine these days, even though it wasn't part of Deep Space Nine, (laughs) you know, the the actual series. Axanar, the official podcast. It is the spirit of TOS that matters that's being captured, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the aesthetic. The aesthetic was 1966 to 1969 that had its moment, it had its time, and there's a certain amount of charm still to that. But it doesn't allow you to push the narrative forward because that type of aesthetic holds creativity back, in my opinion. Women at Warp. She got that far without losing tons of crew members, which you know Kirk would have. She's the Ernest Shackleton of deep space. Of course she's an Admiral. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. Star Trek Beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the shows as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way that you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. If you want to contact us, you can use the form 
on trek.fm slash contact, or you can leave us a voicemail like Ben did. Just look on the sidebar of the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. And I have to say, I think with that voicemail, we are now like leaps and bounds ahead of all of the other podcasts in terms of receiving voicemails with yeah. three. I think everyone else has like one, right? So, we yeah. Yes. Yeah, keep them coming, folks. Yeah. Help us maintain our lead. Yeah. <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter at TrekFM, or you can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. You can also find the Babel Conference on Facebook. Just type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click the discussion tab on the menu bar. John, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me crawling around on Twitter at Kessel Junkie. Uh, and you can also find me appearing on a weekly podcast called Words with Nerds with my buddy Craig uh, that drops on Thursdays through iTunes and blah, blah, blah. And you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, or you can find me here on Trek FM doing Standard Orbit with Drew, or CommentaryTrackStars.com doing Commentary Trackstars Off Topic and Commentary Trackstar Babies. And you can find us all on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or you can email us all at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring Commentary, Trackstars, and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. What book do you have for us today, John? Well, uh, the book that we have today is Star Trek Borg, uh, mm-hmm. written by Hilary Bader, narrated by Howard McGillan and John Delancey, and directed by Jonathan Frakes. Oh. Geez. Yeah, which, you know, that's a heck of a Star Trek pedigree right there. Yeah, I'll and, listen uh, to that. Cadet Kalen Furlong's father was killed by the Borg in the Battle of Wolf 359. Now, ten years later, the Borg are attacking again, and Starfleet won't allow Cadet Furlong to stay aboard the starship Cheyenne to avenge his father's death. But Q will. He'll do better than that, in fact, taking the cadet back in time and putting him on the same ship as his father to give Kalen a chance to save him and the entire Federation on a mission of extreme danger, difficult choices, and surprising results. So, was this based on a video game or something? Uh, I don't know. It's, uh, no, it just says by Hillary Bader. Uh, it's a fully dramatized adventure. Directed by Jonathan Frakes. Directed by Jonathan Frakes. Yeah. That's, that's pretty awesome. I'm going to have to listen to that. You know, Hillary Bader, uh, was a writer for, uh, Batman, the animated series. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that's, wow. That's, uh, yeah. And, yeah, and just about everybody's awesome and, and all yeah. that stuff, you know? Ah, I didn't even know that that existed. We'll have to do that. We we could even cover that on this show. As like I would a be Jonathan happy to. Frakes, you know, directed thingy. Hmm. Yeah, we'll have to look into that. Well, you can get it for free since you listen to Trek FM. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a thirty day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial dot com slash Trek FM and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial dot com slash Trek FM, and we thank Audible for supporting Commentary Trek Stars and the network. All right, so Maurice Hurley, he's in the news. He's relevant. We planned this. We were like, let's do Maurice Hurley right now, yeah. you know, because there's going to be so much heat under Maurice Hurley. 
And, you know, next week we're going to do an, another Maurice Hurley movie, which <laughs> is sure to have a lot of heat <laughs> under it as well. And that's Groom Lake, which was directed by the one and only William Shatner. So, yeah. uh, unfortunately, this movie is not on on Netflix, but if you want to watch it, you can buy it off of Amazon. I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't. I'm just saying if we don't. You want yeah, to, we don't want to give anything away, Mike. We yeah, don't want to give anything away. Spoilers. But if you yeah. look at my Letterboxd account, you might see what I think about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and after describing how I, I gave almost, <laughs> I give almost every movie I don't like two stars. You might be interested to see how many stars I gave Groom Lake. Spoilers: It's not five stars. But we'll talk about that next week. Indeed. <laughs>